0: Come on up, Jesse. Today I will be reading John 17, verses 20 through 23. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Make like a tree and leaf. How many of you were able to be here uh, last weekend and hear Ryan's testimony? If That was powerful stuff. Um, if you were not able to be here last Sunday, um, I, I would invite you to head to the church's website and uh, to listen to uh, what Ryan Van Persom had to say. It was... It was from the heart. It was powerful. It was encouraging. Um, I think we're all uh, richer because of the things that he shared with us. Um, as we um, continue to go through um, this year of God with us, uh, we're going to just touch on, these are these are wide sweeping um, brushstrokes that I'm making initially, kind of mapping out the year, and we'll get more specific as we go along. But we have... Um, We've done the God with us thing quite a bit. I mean, all through December, we talked about, you know, God with us in a lot of ways. Um, But then we kind of walked through the Bible as to how God was with his people. Um, All throughout the Old Testament, he was with his people. And then Jesus, as he walked the earth, as he was with his disciples, as um, he said, I will be with you always, and then he left. (laughs) And then uh, the promise was the Holy Spirit would come. The the counselor, the advocate, however you want to describe him, all these Bible words describe the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, is God with us. And for the Christian especially, he is God within us because he promised to make his dwelling place among us, in us, as God made his dwelling place within the temple and the holy of holies. So now the New Testament says we are living stones. We are temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit where God's space um, meets with human space. Did you know you're a walking temple? If you're a Christ follower and you have that Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, a place of worship. And so all this is really great. I mean, it's great news. Maybe it was encur- it's been encouraging to you to realize how close God is to you when you feel maybe like he's been far away. You don't really know how to connect with him or you haven't connected with him in meaningful ways that you feel like in a while that his presence is very, very near to you. We're turning a little bit of a corner, maybe getting even more specific because today um, in, in very specific ways, I want to talk about us with each other. And then there's like, oh, really? Really? Uh, I mean, I, as soon as I started thinking about this, I, um, I remember my father-in-law years ago, and you've heard me say it, and it's maybe an old, old poem, but to, to say, um, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to dwell below with saints we know, now that's another story. And it is, because it's easy to say, oh, it's going to be so great in heaven. It's going to be so great in the hereafter, you know, uh, when there's no sin, there's no brokenness, there's no death, and it's going to be awesome. But did you know that this is practice for that? The reason he put us together is to learn how real community exists in the loving continual relationship that is God. And he invites us to be a part of that by loving each other, and I, I can't think of a, a better way to do that. I can think of a few easier ways to do that, but it, not any better ways. And this runs, this runs counter, um. To really how we do church in America. Um, now I'm not a church basher. I love the church and I love the Lord of the church and, and, but the church, with the big C, over the centuries and especially in the last. 100, 150 years in America, Christianity has seen an individualistic faith that has almost trumped a corporate, family-oriented faith. Now let me kind of explain where I'm going here. Um, I'm going to quote some of my old college professor, Tom, L- Tom Lawson, here, in a, in a bit of a Facebook post that he wrote a bit of a devotion Um, he talks about Acts chapter 2. And if you remember Acts chapter 2, the birth of the church in Jerusalem, what happens there is that all of these people throughout all the known world descended on Jerusalem in a feast. It was a Jewish feast. There were people from all over the nations, all, all kind of languages being spoken in this Jewish feast, a pilgrimage kind of festival. And that's when the Holy Spirit descends in power. There's Flames of fire over all their heads. They begin speaking in other languages, as the Spirit enabled them, and they they talked. They they spread the gospel, and the church was born, and three thousand people were baptized that day. And the church, boom, it, there it is, and it just keeps keeps growing and keeps growing. This is what um, Lawson and many others have said is the reversal of the Tower of Babel, the reversal of the Tower of Babel. Remember Genesis eleven where they begin to say, hey, let's build a big old tower for ourselves. We can make a name for ourselves. We can be permanent right here. And God says, I don't think so. And it confuses their languages, and they all scatter. Well, here we have an Acts 2, where we have all kinds of languages together, and they become one, because the Spirit has brought them together in unity and birthed the church. So, in America, this individualistic faith Nearly runs counter to this. Before I before I get into this, let me just kind of map out my experience in, in church as a as growing up. How many of you grew up going to church? You just knew. I mean, every 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 time you know, pretty much the doors are open. We're there. Um, if you didn't if you didn't have that experience, you're no less of a person. Um, let me just say that right now, um, and you're no less of a Christian. But it, for those of us who were raised in it, here's kind of how it went for me. We were, we were there on Sunday mornings. We were also there for Sunday school. And I remember growing up having Sunday school teachers who would teach me all kinds of Bible lessons. And then the preacher came to my house and told me how to be baptized. And so at seven, almost eight years old, I went into the water, got, got, um, was immersed, um, and um, I was given a Bible and, told, and basically told, um, well, you just keep showing up and you keep learning stuff and you'll be good. And I, I really think that somehow all of these things that I did, I mean, my parents helped me, my preacher helped me, I had Sunday school teachers who would teach me, but I don't remember until I was way older anybody actually coming alongside me saying, you know what, I think um, I could help you learn how to follow Jesus. I think I could have conversations with you on a regular basis and help you encourage you in your faith. I think I could disciple you. I didn't have that conversation so much as I had that experience with a couple guys, and um, it just wasn't in the DNA of the American church. Nobody wants to submit to somebody else. It's like I can come to faith on my own. I can say yes to Jesus on my own. I can grow in faith on my own. I can come to church on my own. I can leave when I want to. And don't tell me how to grow in Christ. I don't need anybody holding me accountable to anything. You know, if I want to learn that, I will. If I want to do that, I'll do it. If I want to show up, I will. We may not say it like that, but that's how we act sometimes in the American church. And here's, here's the, the inconsistency with that. There's so much in Scripture that God says he met us and he saved us and he loved us. And so he, then he says, now go do that for somebody else. Jesus washes the feet of his disciples and he goes, I've given you an example. Go do that. The last words he said before he left the earth, go and teach them to obey my commands. We left out the obey part and we're like, oh, we're all about teaching the commands. We can teach, we can teach, we can teach. All kinds of Bible. But to hold somebody to obedience, that's that gets complicated. That's hard. We'll just, we, just, we, we just hope that they catch on because we really don't want to hold anybody's feet to the fire, nor do we want somebody holding my, our feet to that same fire. It's uncomfortable, and it gets complicated. The problem is that um, those of us who have had people like that may have done it poorly. Poorly. <laughs> How many of you have been bullied by Christians that they took that accountability thing and they just lorded it over you and said, "Oh no, 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 you will do this. You will follow that. If you don't, you're out." You know, if you if you know what I mean? We have take we've taken that and we've taken it on ourselves and we think, "Well, I'm the I'm got to be the spiritual mature one here and I got to hold I got to make you make make sure that you're towing the line." That's that's the other side of the spectrum. Nobody wants that. Nobody signed up for that. There's becoming the Christian, and then there's sink or swim. No mentor to speak of. And then there's becoming a Christian, and then dealing with other Christians who want to just shove you around and make you do stuff you don't want to do. Now, part of that's probably our own pride. But part of that also is just an attitude of spiritual bullying. Somewhere in the middle of that, there is a Christ-like example of discipling, teaching, to obey that will lead to more disciple making and obedience, as Jesus did it. John seventeen is our our core text here, and it's Jesus' prayer. And I'm I'm really glad that it's written down here for us. We're we're gonna just um, what did Jesus pray for us? How how did he pray for us? And I'll just re- I'll just read it again. For us all. My prayer is not for them alone, meaning the disciples that were with him. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you, may they also be in us. Now that's a lot of in. That's a lot of with. That's a lot of overlap. Why? That the world may know and believe That you have sent me. There is a direct correlation between our unity with Christ and our unity with each other. There's a direct correlation between our unity and the witness we have to the world. The more unified and loving we are toward each other and toward toward those in in, in the world, the more the greater our witness to the gospel. And the opposite is also true. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. And here's some more overlapping. I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity. And here it is again. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. But dealing with people isn't easy. Dealing with other Christians can be a lot of pain. And I don't know if you've, maybe you've got stories of previous church experiences. There's an awful lot of people out there not going to church because of church. And it's the saddest thing I hear all the time. There are people who have given up faith, not because they don't think it's true, but because they've been really hurt by other Christians. From Tom Lawson's article, Without community, meaning without the group that calls themselves church, Christianity becomes little more than an appeal to self-interest and private devotion. A person might claim to be fully saved based on a set of personal beliefs and a commitment to moral purity and personal Bible study, and that's never been the ideal model of the life of a Christian. Continued resentments, unresolved anger, and ongoing separation between people are as out of step with whatever we should mean when we talk about being saved as continuing in adultery or theft. A gospel that does not bridge the walls of separation between family members, neighbors, and so-called outsiders is as distorted of a gospel as the be-niceness that leaves out personal guilt and forgiveness. Am I my brother's keeper? is an unavoidable question that must be faced head-on when we're confronted with the demands of the gospel. The answer is neither easy nor optional. No, you're not your brother's keeper. You're your brother's brother. So there is this, for, for scripture, for Jesus, this seemingly seamless transition between I'm saying yes to God and I'm living life with other people. I'm letting God love me. I'm, I'm embracing that love. And so I love other people. I want God's forgiveness. He has forgiven me. And so I forgive other people. God has accepted me into his family lovingly and freely and generously. And so I accept other people. He is patient with me. And he bears with me. And he puts up with me. And therefore I am patient with others. And I put up with others. And Do you see the pattern here? I'm not making this up. I'm going to take us through some scriptures here that say exactly these things that so many of us have a hard time connecting to. And I've kind of befuddled my two main points here. Here's, 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 here's where I want to go. I want to move from Becoming a Christian and then being able to deal with other Christians, that's a defensive posture. That's just I'm living life with other people that I know love Jesus, which is sometimes hard enough. But then I want to deal with a second issue, which is moving from just being a church attender or a, a Christian, a, a Christ follower, to one who makes disciples, because that involves getting in people's lives too. That involves personal relationships too. That involves getting past our comfort zones too. And a whole different way of thinking than what we normally do church. And we'll get into some very practical ways that this is lived out. I know I sound like a broken record, but I want to go back to Matthew 28. The last few verses. I'll start with verse 16 and Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Those three words I'll never understand, really. I mean, he's resurrected, for goodness sake. What are they doubting? But, uh, there we go. Um, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Here's one of the places where Jesus pulls rank. Okay? I've gone through all this. I've been obedient to everything that God has asked me to do. Now, all authority anywhere is mine. So listen up. Here are your marching orders. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, baptize, and teach to obey. I've heard an awful lot of sermons that talk about the going talk about the baptizing, talk about the teaching, but I've heard very few that emphasize the teach to obey. Because it's a whole lot easier to teach somebody information than it is to teach them to obey what they've heard. A lot of us know stuff. We know a lot. We know we shouldn't eat certain things that are bad for us. But we do, right? We know we shouldn't. If I mean, if you've if you've got a, a an injury, or if you're beyond a certain age, that your you know children don't think you should be up on a ten foot ladder, you probably shouldn't be up on a ten foot ladder. But we do anyway, and they yell at us for it. We know stuff we shouldn't do, and we go ahead and do it. And we know stuff we should be doing, and yet. It's not knowledge, that's a problem. We are, we are knowledge beyond our capacity to obey. What we need is an urgency to do what we know. To live out by faith the things that we've been taught. That we can say, yeah, yeah, I ought to do that. But we don't sometimes Do. Now I know these are broad, sweeping accusations, and I'm not here to make you feel worse, um, but I am here to challenge us to a couple ways, three ways actually, that I want to point out that we can live this out. Um, the first thing I want to bring up, and I've been bringing this up a lot, are these connection groups um, that we're beginning this spring, and uh, I I just I'm I'm gonna keep trying to emphasize the importance of these because it's not just another gathering. It's not, see, this gathering here has an awful lot of benefit. There's an awful lot of good that happens here. But in the way of life transformation, you might grab a nugget of inspiration. You might grab some truth. You might have a conversation here that is, is encouraging to you, but um, it's limited in, in, its, in its scope. It's limited in our interaction. You might attend uh, a Sunday school. And that's a smaller group. And so I could take my podium and I could come over here and we could have class. And we're right here. This is our class. You know, we can have a little discussion here. And that's, and it's a little more normal for us to be able to say, well, how do, what do you think about that, Dave? And Dave will tell me what he thinks about that. And we'll all listen today because he's a really nice, smart, wise person. And he, he knows the Lord. So um, we can all be encouraged by what the class might might give us. But what happens when we get a, a, a smaller group of people together, you know, say like the this, this six of us here and we pull our chairs around and we can have maybe some uh, you know, a brownie or a cup of coffee or something and we can talk about scripture and say, okay, this is what, this is how I struggle with this or this is how we're going to live this out this week and this kind of smaller environment can even be more personal it's even more interactive it's a lot more transparent and some for some people the personal space issues get really real right here but then it goes beyond that even to where one of us could go out and say hey cliff we need to you know let's just get together and we'll have a we'll have some coffee or something um, and we'll just sit here and we'll just sit here and talk about life for a little bit And, um, you know, how your kids are doing, how my kids are doing, and what is it that I can pray with you about right here and now? That's the kind of thing that we're not so good at. Why? Because everybody's so, what? Busy. If it's not work, it's the work you take home. If it's not the family, or if it's not the, the kids' schedules, it's, all the stuff I didn't get to last week and all this stuff's piling up and my honeydew do lifts a mile long and I can't. Um, and plus, truth be told, I'd really rather not because it's hard. It's not only hard to schedule, it's really just hard to want that kind of vulnerability and that kind of transparency with somebody else who might actually see what I struggle with, if you knew what I was dealing with right now, you wouldn't like me very much. If you knew what I did, what I said to my wife last night, I probably wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about it if I thought you'd just walk away from me right now. There's a certain amount of fear and anxiety that we're just not going to be accepted. We can walk in and out of here relatively easy and not be confronted with the things that we really, really struggle with because we're in a big group. But connection groups are a place where it's a safe place, for one. And they're a place of acceptance, because God's accepted us. There's a place of forgiveness, because God's forgiven us. There's a place of love, because we know God has loved us. And it's formatted in such a way that it's in somebody's house, where it's more relaxed anyway. You got yourself, you know, a veggie tray or an apple pie, and you can just sit and know that somebody cares enough about you to be real. Now that can happen in a lot of places. That can happen here, this morning, and I hope it does. But not in the same way, with the same kind of time frame that it could be in a connection group. A book that I've been uh, reading and quoting an awful lot uh, called Spent Matches by Roy Moran I would encourage anybody to grab a a copy of this. It's rocked my world in a lot of ways and brought scripture to light. And the first half of the book is, is, it's what he calls um, the problem. And the second half is the solution. I like people who bring solutions to problems. You know, anybody can bring a problem to you, but you know, you got a problem way to fix this. And, um, And so he shares both. He says this um, about um, modern Christianity. He says, unfortunately, modern Christianity has majored in teaching people uh, to be spiritually obnoxious. (laughs) We've taught people to share their faith rather than their lives. Wow, okay, that hurts. Um, We've majored in teaching people to export propositions. In other words, we've taught people, we've majored in teaching people to know stuff about the Bible rather than simply be open about their experience with the living God. That was one of the things that, that Jesus had the hardest time about these teachers of the law. They knew all the law backwards and forwards. They didn't know God personally. And he called them on it. And so we've been, we've been told all of our lives, I grew up in a church, where you got to share your faith, you got to share your faith. Well, I don't know, how, to, how to, what do I say? Well, sometimes all you got to do is just share your life and your faith will show. Sometimes all you got to do is love people, and they'll see Jesus. People say all the time, well, I don't know stuff, I don't know the Bible, I don't know the right answers if somebody has a question. Just live out your faith. Live out what you say you believe. And then you can have a conversation, perhaps, about that. And and here's another one. He quotes a guy named Scott McKnight, in a book called King Jesus Gospel. And here, this one stings, because um, in the American church, we, he says, um, could the great tragedy of our day be that all of our evangelism efforts have made people twice as fit for hell? Hang with me here. People have been taught to trust in a walk down the aisle or praying a prayer, rather than to obey what Jesus asked. We've preached a gospel of forgiveness rather than a gospel of kingdom living. Walking the aisle and praying a prayer is a start. But there's way too many folks out there who think, well, if I do that, I got my ticket punched, then I'm good to go. We've forgotten the teaching to obey part. We've forgotten the making disciples part. At least it's harder to do. And then the last quote I'll bother you with is one that I shared back in our congregational meeting back in November where I first started digesting this book. And he says, most of our efforts are aimed at persuading people to believe rather than giving them opportunities to trust. We have, and I have, been a large part of Bring people to church, which is not a bad thing. I want you to do that. But don't just bring them to church, drop them here, and then expect somebody to pick them up. They're your friend. They're your coworker. You brought them, and you're going to see them later, and I won't. They need to see and know and hear from you what you know and how you live. And we all are on the hook of making disciples. And I believe that connection groups are a way to help us learn more how to do that in possi- possibly ways that this gathering would be limited to do. Here's another way. I'll get off of that horse and, and hop on another one because that one's tired. Beginning next week, you're going to be hearing. Um, from me and a lot of emails and, and uh, announcements and Facebook stuff, I'm going to be giving anybody who wants to a link to uh, prepare and enrich. Uh, let's put that couple checkup slide up. Um, this is a uh, prepare and enrich is a um, it's a marriage enrichment. It's a premarital enrichment, a kind of I don't know, even want to call it a curriculum. It's a ministry. And so, when a couple comes to me and says, "Hey, I want you to do our wedding," I say, "That's let's talk about that. That's fantastic. But what I want you to do is to take this assessment. I don't call it a test because people don't like taking tests. I want you to go online, and I want each of you to take this assessment. You can't talk about it, and you can't take it together. And you have to one of you take it, and the other one of you take it. And um, there's I don't know, it's like 150 questions. It's not short, but." What happens with this couple is they each of them take this online assessment, and they answer. There's, there's, you know, one to five, one to five, one to five. It's all, you know, uh, strongly agree or strongly agree or somewhere in the middle. And they all take these, take, take this test, and I get all the answers, I get all the results, and with all this great information and these cool charts and um, and how they did. It's not a pass-fail thing, and I don't give them a letter grade, but it will tell me, can they communicate well? Do they solve conflict in healthy ways? Are they financially on the same page or not? Because that will bleed into the other two really quick. Um, And and there's some other things that it measures in this way. What I want us to do is not have a one-on-two counseling session because... You know, what this is for are already married couples who will, for the whole month of February, be open to taking this, and you get the answers. And then I get a group summary that's completely anonymous. I don't see any names. All I see is numbers, trends, and percentages, and all kinds of geeky stat kind of things that I love looking at or the whole group of us. It will take you some time. It will take you some not talking about it with your spouse when you're taking it, but when you do get your results, that's that's fodder for conversation right there. And you can see where you're doing really well, and you can see where you might need to do a little work, and it won't be a big surprise to you where that might be. I think a lot of us already are self-aware enough about that. But here's how this is all going to come together. This is the togetherness part. On March 31st, that evening, it's a fifth Sunday, that evening, we're inviting anybody and everybody to come here to have a bit of a debrief, some kind of encouragement. I'll have my group stats, and I'll be kind of helping lead through, and I'm, I'm kind of making this up as I go along. Uh, because I've never done one of these before, but here's what I would love to see happen: is many, many of us take this on our own through the month of February, and then come in together at the end of March to just encourage each other. They'll, there might be small group breakout sessions. There might be um, some just general uh, general encouragement. There might be, in, in in some ways, if I get if I get my um, group summary here this is a copy of somebody else's. Um, if I get my group summary and I see on this really geeky chart here that there's a great number of couples that have a really big uh, growth area, I won't call it a weakness, but a really big growth area on uh, financial management, then um, we can say, oh, we might need to launch a, a small group study or a Sunday school about financial management. Or if I see um, you know, a bunch of people having problems with connecting uh, on conflict resolution, I can, you know, you know what I'm saying? I, I would really love it for as many people to uh, to take care of this, to, to to take this for their own benefit, but also to show up and encourage one another in our families, in our marriages, and knowing that not everybody's married, but for those of us who are, sometimes we can use some outside help, a little bit of encouragement, um, because everybody, all of us, have points we can grow. And you might I can, I can feel it in the air right now. I don't need to talk to anybody about my marriage. I'm fine. And I can, I can hear some of, some of you are thinking, I'll never get him to come to that. I, I, I hear you. I, underst- I understand the, the struggle. We'll start praying now. Because the hardest part about being a guy is knowing that somebody knows that you can't do something right or that you might be weak in some area, or you might need help. Nobody wants that. But that just flies in the face of individual spiritualism. I mean, you you can't do it on your own. Nobody can. And we need each other to strengthen each other, because I'll tell you what, this is no big surprise. We're under attack. Can I just be blunt? The devil's not letting up anytime soon. In fact, he's ratcheting things up quite a bit here lately. Can you tell? Have you felt the atmosphere in our town, in our school district? Have you felt in this county how we're at each other's throats? We need each other. There is no way you can make this and navigate this on your own. If you're wondering whether I'll have a... maybe, Maybe you're wondering, will I have a job by this time next year? Well, I have to, to, to negotiate something else because I don't know where this is going. You need each other. We need, I need you. You need me. And there's just an awful lot of uncertainty in the air right now. I'm not trying to, to make anybody like, whoa, what's going on? You know, but there's always something going on. I'm just saying, I, I've got a front row seat on some of these things, and we need to get our spiritual armor on. And we need to back each other up in ways that are are helpful and and loving and encouraging. And we need strong families. Proactively strong families. And not waiting for something to fall apart before we do something about it. So together time. Together time at home, taking this assessment. And together time on March 31st. I'm gonna have Jacob come up and talk about um the last thing on our schedule, probably a little more fun. Wait, Jacob's in children's church. Where's he at? He is he did go up. I told him to come back down here. He's busy. Well you, you wanna go get him? <laughs> no. I don't know. Is he he's probably busy. Let's see what see what you can find out. Okay, all right. So I, I, I don't know if you can tell. I'm not agitated. <laughs> Sometimes I come across agitated. I'm not agitated so much as I'm, I'm urgent about some of these things right now. I'm also waking up to the fact that, that I, I mentioned this at a, at a board meeting uh, a month or two ago. Have you ever woke up and feel like you just did something wrong for the last 15 years? And, and you're just now starting to realize, oh, I should be doing this. <laughs> um, this is one of those errors in, in my life. So... Um, these are some of the changes I want to make. Jacob, coming up here, and talk about the Valentine banquet. Sorry to pull you away from your appointed rounds. Go ahead and give him a mic. A mic,
1: and my name is Jacob. All right, that was a bad joke. Um, so yeah, so we're going to be doing our Valentine's Day banquet like we do um, every year. The uh, first thing I want to say is we're going to have sign up at the Back in the foyer, if you are wanting to go and you want to tell us how many people are going to be attending under your name, then uh, then we can get a number of how many people are going to be there and all that kind of fun stuff like that. So in the past, like what you guys have done, there's going to be a meal, and, and then we're going to have some fun entertainment afterwards. What we're going to do is kind of like a newlywed couple kind of game style. Not only newlyweds, though. It's going to be all sorts of however-married However long married you've been. Married couples game. That might be a better wording. Name name in progress. Name in progress. So um so we're gonna do that. That will be something fun. But we are also going to have a pie auction. So we will be starting next week. We'll need sign up for if you want to bring a dessert. It doesn't have to be just pie. That's you know, it could be brownies or cake or cookies or whatever cheesecake, you know, ice cream cake. I don't care literally whatever you want to bring to label as a dessert to be able to auction off. We're going to have that going on as well. The event, you can pay, you know, like a entry fee to eat at the meal, but it's more of a donation side of it. And then also the auction will be going towards, at the bottom there, the high school students going to CIY Move this, uh, this coming up summer. So we're going to be kind of doing twofold, both the dinner, to be able to have as a way to raise money, but then also the pie auction. So if you want to have some delicious desserts to bring home, then you can fight your neighbor in a bidding war to be able to get it. So, um, but we're, that's going to be some level of entertainment. But then we'll also, like I said, we'll have the married couple game. I don't know, newly, whatever married married games. Oh, that sounds interesting. The Married Games. We we set we set the couples against other couples, and it's all about in a, community. In an arena, an arena, Loving we see other, which couple comes
0: out forgiving each other and putting up with each other.
1: There's a cornucopia in the middle and stuff. Wait, that's a different. That's Hunger Games. Uh, so you lost me, man. <laughs> February 16th, Saturday. February 16th, it's the Saturday after Valentine's Day. So if you didn't know, 14th is Valentine's Day. Just a public service announcement for you uh, that you'll want to keep that kind of in the the back of your mind. Uh, but we'll be doing it at 6 p.m., so February 16th at 6 p.m. Make sure to sign up, so that way we just have an idea of how many people are going to be here. We would love everybody to be here, not just um, a handful of people, but everyone. We want it to be a fun, big event, so I think that's it. Okay,
0: thank you. Word, word to the Marriage guys yeah where did the guys if you plan on bringing um, your special someone to this make sure you tell her before the fourteenth is over because if that whole day goes by and you don't say anything or do anything but you're planning on taking her on Saturday, you if you don't communicate that somehow that might go poorly for you all right let's let's wrap this up um, I hope you get um I hope you get my point in uh, ways that are both challenging and encouraging. Um, this may not be a show of hands thing, but um, it could be. Um, how many of you have been to an, an AA meeting or an NA meeting? Okay. Um, I, I've been to a, a couple as, um, as a part of a well, my college class. I had to attend one. And uh, so my, my professor told me where I was going and and uh, what time it started and it was in the basement of some church and um, I think I've talked about this before but I walked in you know and it's um, it's a room full of people holding coffee cups and um, they uh, they welcomed me warmly and they didn't know why I was there or who I was <clears throat> but I uh, in, ended up the, the leader said okay guys time to time to sit down and. Um, and it was just like in the movies you know you go around and you introduce yourself and you know and i'm uh, you know my name is bob and i'm an alcoholic hi bob you know i mean it was just like that all the way around and so when i said when well, it was my turn i knew it was going to come to me i said oh, my name's jim and i'm just here hi jim and i mean nobody said oh come on you know you're an alcoholic you, you're in denial. Let's, you know, just hey, you two around him. Just take his arms and make sure he, doesn't, make sure he admits he's a sinner, you know. And none of that. No. Okay. Nice to have you here. And what I saw for the next hour was more church than a lot of churches, because this is how we, this is how we do. Um, Every, every alcoholic, every, every addict should have or does have a sponsor. Someone who maybe was a former user or a former alcoholic who has been out and been dry and sober for a while and knows the ins and outs and knows the language and knows all the excuses. And that sponsor will call or check on this, this person who's newly sober and, and will unapologetically get in their face, show up at their house, bang their door down, because they know they're one decision away from falling off the wagon. And yet, when a, when a person comes to faith, and when they come to Christ, and, and they profess their belief, and they say it with their mouth, and they're immersed in the water, and we give them a Bible and say, good luck, show up next week, and then we don't give them any kind of, uh, well, here's, here's a person that you can call anytime, day or night. And here's a person who's going to come bang on your door if you start to, you know, if you don't, if you don't show up, then we're going to come after you. I mean, no, I, we don't we don't talk like that in church. We should more often because I think more people would take it seriously if they knew it was life or death, if they knew it was eternal life and eternal death. We would have people who were more intentional about being discipled. We would have people. We would have more of us, myself included, who would be more passionate and intentional about grabbing somebody and saying, look, I, I can see what kinds of decisions you're making and you're you wrecking your life right now and I, I really want to help you. That's a little tough to do in the name of Jesus. It's a lot easier to do if you're somebody's AA sponsor. Christians rarely want to do that for each other they rarely want that done to them. But I think that if we're going to show the love of Christ, if we're going to grow one another, if we're going to really take this idea that God is with us and that we're really with each other, that Jesus invaded this world and he said it right, and he wants us to continue the work, He loved us. He loved people that nobody loved, and he expects us to do the same. And he proclaimed forgiveness of sins to people that didn't have any hope of it. And he he wants us to proclaim his forgiveness for people. He accepted people and touched people that nobody would go near, and he wants us to do the same. And he held people to the truth. That they already knew, even when they didn't like it, because he loved them enough to do it. We like to sing, we like to to say amen. <laughs> we we like to, to sing about being together, but it's harder to do. And so when we sing, all the people said amen. Let's do it with a little more filter on this. Let's like with this stuff in mind. We're gonna we're gonna get together and we're gonna we're gonna sing this song, um, and it's not your general come on up here guys or it's not your usual like end of sermon just paid for us for giving us uh, uh, showing us what love is and we ask that you will help us to live accordingly and uh, we uh, thank you for each one's here and again we just ask that you will help us to be the people that you would have us to be in jesus name amen